Yeah, so pray we both got we both just uh, flew back in from the dirty south. Uh, was there for an event that I mean, let, let's just say that I put the fun in that funeral. You know what I mean? I know what you, you know mean. Know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you mean, but honestly, you can't. You were going. You were trying to slide around the word funeral by calling it an event, and then you just went up and did the whole fun and funeral thing. Well, I mean, that's too good of a pun to not make. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I also came back from NC, similar event, so, you know, NC, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, uh, no. Pablo. No, we do like to raise up and take our shirt off and twist around our hair like a helicopter. Like a helicopter? In the fashion of a helicopter? Yep. Oh, and you gotta do it right. You gotta do it with the left way. Mm -hmm. Guys, <laughs> Yeah, that's fun, dude. Yeah, I just like was back there just hearing like, like my like you know like my New Orleans family just being like, yeah, just shoot off your gun every now and then, like <laughs> keep the housing prices low. Oh man. I do miss the dirty cells sometimes because a Waffle House. I missed the Waffle House, and I was actually able to go back to Waffle House. Now. Y'all want to hear my Waffle House story? I want to hear your Waffle House order, first of all. Oh, it's that all-star breakfast, chocolate syrup waffles, hash browns smothered, covered. I'm the same, but covered and topped. I can't do the top. I don't like the tops. What about you? Do you like the top? Do you, you've been to Waffle House? So, my mom actually, we dropped my brother off at college in Harrisonburg, Virginia this past weekend. Okay. And she asked me, should we go to Waffle House? And Andrew I said, House. absolutely not. The place will be covered in vomit from all the drunken college students, and so we didn't go. What I get out. Okay, I feel like Waffle House, pride, man, Waffle, House, Waffle House is good, but you can't tell me I'm wrong. There's always yes, we can. Somewhere. Yeah. Yes, we can. We can tell you you're wrong because we're doing that right now. Let me ask one question. What time of day was it? When I've gone to Waffle House. When was like, the last time you went to a Waffle House? Okay, I've only been to Waffle House once. Okay, what time? And it was day? like at like 11 p.m. Exactly. And there's your <laughs> up right there. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, the food is pretty good. The food is great. I, I'll say that I got like. Okay. You don't go to Waffle House for food. Waffle. House. The food is great though. Oh yeah, the food brings you back to life after. Exactly. No. You but you don't go to the Waffle House for food. You go there for the after night entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember one time I went sure. there. And this guy was like, yeah, dude, I used to, like, I'm, like, a professional guitar hero player. And this, this is, like, 2018, so, like, it's, like... That's not a flex. <laughs> that's not a flex, dude. That's not the flex you think that is, dog. Yeah, also, like, in the South, there's a... Culturally, you have to understand with the, uh, with the Waffle House, it's a very, like... It's the probably the most important location in a town. Mm -hmm. Because... Severe weather events, the barometer for whether or not it's you should actually care about the severe weather event, about a tornado, if the Waffle House is closed, then you know. Then you get out. Wow. Uh, FEMA actually uses that as an official, like, sing or sign to show that, like, it's that serious. Get out. And most people would actually, if the Waffle House closes, that's when they actually get out. They don't care when the government says evacuation order. I live in the uh, beach town. My senior year of college, there was a huge hurricane that actually came through. A lot of people do not like listen to like the female warnings or the governors or the mayor even stating like evacuate now. No one listened. It wasn't until the Waffle House tweeted that they're gonna be closed that I heard a bunch of people lose.
Exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing about the Waffle House that I truly enjoy. It's the show you're given while eating your meal. Yeah. You would always see your waitress or waiter throwing hands with another patron. You also see your cook outside smoking a cigarette and or also fighting a patron. Moral of the story is that when someone's not fighting a Waffle House, it's not going to be a good time. Yeah. I enjoy the chaos of Waffle House. I feel like the chaos of Waffle House is very on brand for me, but I don't want to bring my family to Waffle House. Yes, you, you know do. What I'm saying? Like, I, I took my parents to Hooters, actually, on another road trip a few weeks ago. So you're going to go to, you're gonna go to Hooters, but you ain't going to go to Waffle House. Yes, exactly. Hey, Hooters is a family restaurant, bro. Hooters is a family restaurant. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's something that the whole family can enjoy. That's true. Exactly. But that, that, you, know what? You, you know what? You are right. I agree with you. I, I retract any dissenting opinion I may have had. About Hooters or Waffle House? Yes. I never had a dissenting opinion about okay, Waffle House. Let me, just say, let me just say that right there. You know, like, I've literally driven through, like, three feet of floodwaters and, like, to go to a Waffle House at, at like, 3 a.m. I mean, like, again, my life was, was my life going great at the time now? The point is, I still did it. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just have so many good memories of the Waffle House. Oh, my oh, God. So like, many good memories ever since, like, since high school. Late nights at Waffle House has been, like, you know, mm-hmm. my comfort zone. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the southern, it's the southern place. Where in the South are you both from, and would you consider Virginia in totality or in part to be the South? I consider Richmond down to be the South. Now consider whole Virginia. You you would include like Nova. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. My my whole line of where I consider the South is basically every single state that was part of the Confederacy. That's the South. Mm-hmm. Culturally, I think that like Nova is more of like. It's more blue than the rest of the South, like significantly. I mean, doesn't mean the South is all red. No, I know South's purple, but like Nova's kind of the Nova's. It's blue in the sense that it has a lot of like DC like commuters who come from there. So people who don't even spend a mo- the majority of their time in Nova, they spend it in like DC and Nova. You know, that's true. Like I don't consider Maryland part of the South. Yeah, no. Even though Maryland was part of the Confederacy. I just say Virginia because Virginia was literally the leading state. Oh, yeah. That's why I say Richmond, though, because Richmond was the Confederacy capital. Yeah. So, I say, like, Richmond down, yeah, I consider that the South. Because, like... But even Richmond itself, like, I... It's not really red. It's very much blue. No, yeah, well, any big urban area is blue. You know? Norfolk is... Norfolk, Virginia Beach, yeah, that's kind of a blue area, too. Anyway, so, should we go ahead and start the show? Oh, I didn't get to say my Wolfhouse story. Mm-hmm. Well, it was just more of me, like, with a bunch of friends, and I was basically talking to them. Because we went there at, like, 2.23 at night. Mm-hmm. And literally, I was just like, we're order food, eating it, and I was like, you know, I missed the Wolf House, but this is not it. I was like, it's too quiet, there's not a lot of people. They were like, what are you expecting? I was like, I don't know, some wild <laughs> happened. And literally, not five minutes after I said that, a whole bunch of people came in, and literally, there was a whole twerking competition on the <laughs> counter. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> And then, bro, bro, our waitress joined in. Mind you, our waitress was like in her 40s. And she was trying to teach these young cats about. I ain't gonna lie, she did have a dumpster ass. <laughs> Episode of the Southern Pride 
Humanitarian Podcast. The, the only podcast where your two co-hosts are humanitarian workers from the South exploring regionality and cultural differences living far away from home. We also have our special guest today. The Turkish Knockout! Knockout. Our good friend, the Turkish Knockout. Hello. I just want to say I'm honored to be the first guest on this podcast. I feel special. VIP. Thank you all. That's very true. So We're very pleased to have you on, on the show, too. Thank you. Yeah, it's really cool. So, yeah, I remember, like, you were one of our first, like, I think you actually gave us our first listen. Yeah, I mean, you did promote the podcast to me, so I did feel, I felt obliged at first, but then I actually enjoyed everything that was... Basically, day one support. Like, you're day one. Day zero. Day zero. Day zero. Exactly. Actually, day half, really. Or day negative one. Day negative one. Yeah, have, like, a negative day. You Very know, careful. Just do. I mean, time's a construct, so we could. Yeah. We're thinking our t- construct of time is also based upon physics. Well, we do socially construct time in insofar as we measure like our own heartbeats. Yeah. But speaking of socially constructed things, our Turk the Turkish knockout. Give us a little background about yourself. Your your parents were immigrants. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, my dad's from Turkey. My mom's from Colombia. They met in Northern Virginia, not the South. Um, and yeah, they had me. Um, I grew up in Virginia, and I have one brother. But yeah, I went to school in the North in Pittsburgh, and then I came back. But I'm leaving the country soon to move to Turkey. So. That's nice. my background. And as a as a queer person, do you feel any sort of like trepidation about going to a place that's not in, that's not as like that's not very welcoming to? Is that fair to say? That or? is fair to say. Okay. Yeah, actually, this year Turkey was ranked like bottom two countries in I forget what the scope of measurement was. If it was like Europe, Eurasia, something like that. Um, but it was in the bottom two for uh, LGBTQ plus um, friendliness, so to speak. Um, and I think it is a little bit interesting, like it does feel, I always say, the I want to live in Turkey indefinitely, and the two things I could see forcing myself to leave would be, like, politics, and, like, if I feel like my queerness is limited in any way living there. So, I want to live in Istanbul, which is, like, a really big cosmopolitan city, probably mm-hmm. not going to have a lot of problems there. Uh, there will be a smaller community than, like, D.C., New York, whatever. But I would be able to, like, be out, like, have relationships and things like that. But my first year in Turkey, I will be in, like, a smaller, um, like, beach city. And I I think we'll see how it goes. But I think in long term, it'll be okay once I move to, like, the bigger city and, you know, get to test the waters. Yeah, that's... I, I do have a question. Like, what was your main draw to go to Turkey? Yeah, like, so... I, I, get, I know that your father is from Turkey, so there's, yeah. like, that connection, but... More so, what is your personal, like, connection to Turkey that made you say, I don't want to pass this up? Yeah, so when I was little, I, we went, like, every other summer. So we alternated between Turkey and Colombia each year. And so when I went to Turkey, I, like, cried every time I left. So I, it was, like, very special to me. I would always go for, like, a month each, like, every other summer. And um, I guess as I grew up, I really wanted to live there. Uh, but it also got complicated because, like, starting in 2015, like, there was a rise in, like, terrorist attacks and then an attempted coup and, like, some bad elections that led to awful leadership. And so, like, in a way, I feel like 
I am kind of fulfilling a childhood dream by moving to Turkey, but at the same time, I'm a little hesitant because I'm like, so much has changed that it's like, will this childhood dream pan out the way that I think it's going to? Maybe not, but it's sort of just like, I've always been really drawn to the culture, the people, um, and so I've always felt like drawn to go and live there. Well, that's very nice. Honestly, I probably have the opposite experience because every time I, my parents would visit the motherland, uh, when my parents would take me, like, it was only fun if my dad went. Okay. In a sense. If it was with just my mom, she basically wants to do her own thing. Gotcha. And so that usually just means go, go into her friend's house and her catching up with them. Uh, but that leaves me basically doing nothing because either those friends didn't really have kids or their kids are gone. Yeah. So it was just us just sitting there watching like Indian slash UK TV and just being bored for months. Now, granted, when I went, basically anytime I went to go stay with like my dad's side of the family, they always take, go around and take me and, uh, and show me some cool mm -hmm. True. Mom's side did not do that and literally my mom would take me for two months at a time. Two months doing that You get bored and you need it. My cousin, like, so me and my siblings have such a, not really distaste or kind of hate it, but we're just like, eh, I don't really want to go. Well, all my other cousins on my dad's side were, when they went, they actually stayed for one month, did a bunch of cool shit, and so when they're like, yeah, I want to go back, I'm like. Yeah, okay, I kind of relate, like, in a way, because I, um, a lot of times people will ask me why Turkey and not Colombia, like, obviously I'm half and half, so why the draw? And I think, like, it's because of, like, what you just said. So, like, when I went to Turkey, we would, like, go traveling, go do, like, fun stuff, you know? And we explored a lot of the country and, you know, all of that. And then in Colombia, a lot of times we would just hang out with family, you know, uh, hang out with my grandparents who were, like, older and, like, less able to do, like, stuff. And so, like, in Colombia, it was always way more, like, boring, so to speak. Like, we didn't do as much and it wasn't as, like, fun so I feel like that's part of why I always felt a little bit more drawn to Turkey um, but now it's weird because now that I'm going to Turkey I feel like kind of mourning like a little bit of a sense of loss with like my Hispanic side because like um, I just feel like I I knew Spanish when I was little but I forgot it and I'm like will I ever learn Spanish now will, like how will I stay connected with that side of things um, so I've been listening to a lot of Bad Bunny lately to balance it out basically but I relate to you with um your experience like visiting a country like you know it, it, it depends on like how connected you feel and like how much yeah. you want to go back mm -hmm. I completely agree and uh honestly the whole Bad Bunny thing sounds like a whole Gen Z approach to be like <laughs> I want to be close to Hispanic culture it was the Bad Bunny yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it's funny because when we were driving to drop my brother off at school I was like playing like Bad Bunny's music and I was like to my mom like oh can you like tell me what the song's about but, like Every song in like reggaeton is like about like sex and like you know like uh, like promiscuity and my mom was like hmm well this song is like about whatever and she would just be like judging me like I'm assuming he's over like 18 yeah he's 18 so at this point he's gonna know sooner or later or whoever you knows so yeah. there's no point in trying to hide the mom yeah exactly mm, but I mean I think that's just kind of more like. And so her parent be like, I don't think I feel comfortable listening to this with my kids. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit of background on like how we actually know the Turkish knockout here. We uh, 
We work, we uh, we cross paths at work. Is that fair to say? Yes, yeah. that is fair to say. Different teams, mm -hmm. same office. Yeah, so we work in, uh, so Prey and I work in employment. We are out here trying to find jobs. Yes. And you are in... Casework. Casework. I love casework and people think I'm crazy. But mm -hmm. I, I just like the chaos, you know? I like the direct, I mean, employment's also a ton of direct service. But I feel like the... The chaotic nature of the direct service in in casework. So, like for the for the layman out there who like don't who aren't as who aren't like in tune with the aspects of like humanitarian work, can you like briefly kind of describe what you do in casework? Yeah. So, uh, when refugee clients arrive in the U.S., they get resettled, and then basically everything in the first. 90 days with an asterisk because it's sometimes more but the first 90 days for initial resettlement period um we do like everything <laughs> like um the airport pickup help them find housing help them apply to benefits help them get documentation um etc you know and um we also like are kind of the anchor i feel like because we'll like um refer them to other teams like employment for jobs youth team for school enrollment so yeah, that's basically it. Sometimes they're in programs that are longer than 90 days, like you know, eight months, uh, up to 12 months of helping out clients in the caseworker role. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the gist of what I do. Mm -hmm. Any particular moments with a client interaction that stands out to you the most? Um, I don't know. So I will say my clients and I have a great relationship. Um, I feel like a lot of caseworkers aren't as lucky because <laughs> clients are humans right and like I think people outside of refugee resettlement expect like clients are probably like these really like you know grateful people who and a lot of times they are but that's you know people oversimplify you know like they oh. kind of dehumanize clients in a way because clients are uh what's the word like dynamic you know they they're different people who yeah. come to the united states they kind of overgeneralize and they're exactly. also like people under a great deal of stress yes right and they're trauma. dealing with trauma that's the mm -hmm. word out of my mouth they're dealing with so much trauma so many changes and also just like a really horrible system where like their medicaid can take four plus months you know like i would be mad too and a lot of times they think that we're like the caseworker, we're since, like I said, we're the anchor, they kind of blame everything on us a lot of the times. Mm. So, but I actually have great relationships with my clients. Like, they understand when I explain to them, like, that it's not my fault. Um, so, most of my memories are all actually really good. I can't even think of any time I've had like a conflict with a client. So, I guess recently I was telling my clients I was leaving, and I have this one client, he came to the US with like um, a really bad physical ailment like he had a leg issue and he had hadn't been treated at a refugee camp he had been at for like seven months like they just didn't address it and so as soon as he got here he was in the hospital for like two weeks and every day I had to like check in with him and make sure his wife and like six kids in the hotel like knew where he was and what was going on and then he got out but he had to go to daily appointments for another two weeks and like it was really stressful because I was on call every day, like including weekends, Saturdays and Sundays for like over a month. Um, and I had my work phone with me everywhere, which is so like typical of casework. But it was just like really stressful. But afterwards, like he just was so grateful, like that someone was there for him. Cause like, like I said, for seven months on this refugee camp, no one was there for him. 
Um, and so then I told him I was leaving last week. And he was like, I'm following you to Turkey. <laughs> he, he was like, you're not leaving. And that's just, I think, a really, that was a really sweet moment. Because I was like, we bonded, you know? Like, I I have connected with you, you know? And like... Y'all in the trenches together. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, like, he's one of the most, he's like one of the lucky ones, you know? Yeah. Like, they're, for every, like, one guy like that, like, the people who make it here are so, like, are very lucky. Because, like... Yeah. As we know, like, you know, with the recent humanitarian crises throughout the world, like, uh, and I feel like this kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but, like, I feel like it warrants acknowledgement that, yeah. like, not everyone makes it. Yeah. yeah. And especially, like, with the top of Kabul, like, last year, 2021. Mm -hmm. Like, there were so many people that did not make it on those planes to get over here. Yeah. There's still yeah. so many that, even, like, clients here have asked about, like, what can... What can we do? What can they do to get their family to safety? And it's just, it's disheartening to say, like, we don't know. Yeah. I have clients who are like, you know how, as part of employment, we make budgets. We help clients make budgets. And, like, I have clients like, okay, you should be, be, be able to save, like, this amount of money per month. And the client's like, yeah, I don't, I don't save that money. I send it home immediately. Because, yeah. like, for, for remittances. Because, like, it's, it's rough out there in Afghanistan. <laughs> I just had a client go back to Afghanistan, actually, because... We he, had that, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But ours but, is, like, our, I feel like ours was a little more foolhardy than yours, but go ahead. Yeah, no, my client, like, he... I feel bad because his family never got here. Like, he was the only one who came. And then he had kids and a wife and back home. And his wife and, I think, like, his daughter got sick, so he decided to go back. And I feel bad because I told him before he left, like, we cannot help you as a resettlement agency, like, get back to the U.S. Like, we don't have that leverage, that power, that insight. And he left, and then he, he like, would message me, like, oh, I want to come back. But I'm, like, not even really allowed to talk to him anymore. Like, I, I have to close his case. Like, he's gone. He's out of the U.S. Um, so it's really hard to, like, know, like... Now he's in Afghanistan and he wants to come back and there's nothing like we can do from our position. So, mm -hmm. yeah. That's yeah. sad. But, I mean, like, also who can blame him because he, he has family there, you know, like, family's yeah. important. Yeah. yeah. I That's mean, that, there. yeah, like, you know, you can't, yeah, family kind of keeps it all going, which is part of the reason you want to go to Turkey. Exactly. And I was just thinking about, like, that. And, like, for, I think it's a lot of it's, like, uh, a return home, almost, okay, I think, like, the urge to return home can be so strong. And honestly, I think about that too when I think about the fact that I am going home, so to speak. I mean, I'm kind of... Going back toward, to the motherland. Yeah, I'm crossed between a lot of different homes. I you know, like, the fatherland in your case. Yeah, the fatherland in my <laughs> case. Um, but the thing is, like, I think about how that's also such a privilege for me to be able to return home. Like, our clients can't really, usually cannot return home. Or if they are have that option, it's like super perilous, dangerous, whatever. And so I think about that a lot when I like tell clients why I'm leaving. I'm like, oh, I'm moving to Turkey to be with family. And like then I realize like that feels really like it, it feels like a privilege to be able to do that. You know, it is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. like you know we both uh, not, and obviously this is apples and oranges. But since we are both since this this, this is the Southern Fried Humanitarian Podcast, we were both back in the south and i don't know how do you pray how do you how does your family like view you being here you're a lot closer than i am to like your like geographically speaking but like for me my like 
I have family who are kind of like, like they're like, the like to where I live is the is quote unquote the the big city. You know, like it makes people like kind of like people. My family's like, oh, he's in the big city. He's doing this and that. He's helping these people. He's doing ain't doing a podcast. That kind of thing, you know. But I'm wondering, like, how your family, like, reacts to that. I mean, my family loves my dad in D.C. Yeah. I mean, it was always kind of like, I mean, it was also my dad that kind of, like, got me to push myself to be over here. Because mm-hmm. he was, like, after I graduated. Because I was still staying back in my college town. And I went to go visit him uh, for, like, a weekend. And I was just talking to my pops. And, like, he was like, you know, I thought you probably wanted to, like, leave out of this state. I thought you were trying to, like, get yourself, like, up there. Surprised you haven't done that. I was like, damn, Pops, you're right. <laughs> the hell I've been doing. <laughs> and literally the next month, I was like, I'm move back home, try to create a network there. Did. Got to a resettlement gang. Yeah. And then get, found an opportunity up in D.C., moved up up here. I mean, my parents, like, they know this is a bigger city than back home, but, I mean, ours was a big city in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of the amenities is still kind of true. Like, when you go downtown, it's the same. Yeah, I'm kind of from a more rural place, so maybe that's it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no, no, like, no, uh, not to discredit, like, I did grow up in the suburbs. Let's go to mm-hmm. Burbs. Right next to, like, the country rural area. So basically, I had, like, a nice little distance between either wanting to go to the city or going out in the countryside. Usually, I go to the city because what else can you do in the countryside besides go mutton or, or hey. go, like, the best thing you can do in the countryside is go to the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff out there, man. Like you, you know, like uh, the part of Louisiana I'm from, like, was real rural. So kind of like, uh, you know, like I would work for my aunt in the summers and like bale hay and like take care of chickens and horses and whatnot. I used to ride western, so I don't know. I kind of like this. Like to me, is like the big city. You know, I'm like, what the hell? I uh, know. For me, anytime like I went to like someone's like house in the countryside that had like basically horses or any sort of farm animals they were just there as like pets they weren't there they weren't really ranchers or like mm-hmm. cattle drivers or anything they were just like no we just had a couple of horses decided to build the staple yeah and so that was my like that's basically where my like city is that was mm-hmm. in the area where like if people had farm animals they're not farming Oh, yeah. You just have them because they want it. No, we were, like, there are parts of, like, my town in Louisiana where, like, you will see, like, people, like, you'll see, like, like, you know, uh, gangbangers, like, roll up, like, on a horse shirtless, <laughs> <laughs> which is a hilarious image. I mean, they really took in Lil Nas X's worst. L- no, it's like, I, that's why, like, like, that Lil Nas X video, but, like, I've, I've seen that. Like, I've seen, like, just dudes, like, roll up on, like, a horse, like... We don't do drive-bys, we do galliops. Yeah, gallop gall- gallop-bys. What's your gallop-by? Uh, but yeah, it's uh, so a little rough around the edges where I'm from, but uh, yeah, it's uh, nothing like Nova and D.C. Yeah. And, uh, See, I think I'm abnormal in that I think D.C. is too slow of a city for me. I know, I know. Well, it's because, like, growing up I would go to, like, Istanbul, like I said, you know, like, on occasion every other year. And Istanbul's really fast, you know, like New York type of speed, you know. And I crave that. Like I really, I crave the chaos. Like I said before, chaos, chaos is a is a is something I really am drawn to, you know. So yeah, that's why. What do you say? How many people are in Istanbul? 
A lot. I don't know, millions. I think it's like three times the size of DC. That's what I would wager. But it's almost such a weird city. I mean, I say that like in a in a positive Ooh, way. Because... There's actually fifteen more than fifteen million. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. think I was right. It's, yeah. It's it's but good. What but else is new? The thing about Istanbul is like it's like really hectic, kind of like New York, but people are really relaxed. Like it's a Mediterranean chillness, right? So like. It's, it's a weird dynamic of like, there's a lot going on, but people are also super just like laid back. But I feel like DC is too slow for me. I don't know why. Also the type of people in DC, no hate, but I feel like there's like, a lot of people have like a finance bro complex. You know? No, they have a government bro complex. Government bro yeah. complex. And like, I'm, I feel like in high school, I was someone, you know, growing up in this area who had a government bro complex, um, but I grew up. And people in DC don't go out of that a lot of times. Oh my god, yeah, like the what the Republican Autonomous Zone of Navy yes, Yard. Yes, Navy Yard, yeah, oh my god. Disgusting. Yeah. I mean, we're like... Or like how everyone always like to brag about their security clearance level. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I have top, like, top secret security clearance. Did you really be telling me this at a <laughs> random bar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you don't have it if you're freely just giving this information out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know, that's why, like, I feel so bad for the single folks in D.C. Yeah, I feel bad for me. I feel bad for you, I do. I do. I genuinely I do, do feel bad for you. Or, dating is kind of a nightmare in D.C., yeah. from what yeah. I can tell. Everyone has the same personality, and it's like, if you don't like that personality, then, like, you're not gonna have luck in D.C. Yeah, if you're, like, from here, it's different, I feel, but, like, the people that move here... Like, people move to L.A. to be actors, people move to New York to be in business, people move to... DC to be sociopaths. I feel yeah. Like. Yeah, that's basically it. Mm -hmm. It's just people who are trying to get a strap for power. They're just like, I have to. The federal government literally cannot run without me. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, that person's job is, like, to keep the senator away from preschools and stuff. Like, that's. Yeah. I mean, I kind of get from your angle because, like, I get the, you lived here your whole entire life. So. Yeah. Of course, it would be like, you know, I've been there, done that. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of grew out of it. No, that's true. People who, I find people who, like, were born and raised here, like, are more likely to not like it. But that's, I feel like, true of anywhere, right? Like, exactly, because, like, a lot of people I know, especially back home, e there's always two kinds of people. Those who leave their home, like, during college and either, like, never move back, or those who just move back and be able to, and just start their lives there. Yeah, when I moved back here, I told myself, so I moved back here from college in December for my job, and then I told myself that by the following December, I had to be gone, because I, like, don't like DC, and I knew if I was here longer than a year, like, I would be, like, settling, like, per my preferences. Like, it wouldn't make sense for me to be here longer than that. So I was, like, by the following December, I, like, had to be out, basically. Yeah. So where were you, what state were you in college in? Pennsylvania. Okay. Oh yeah, Pittsburgh. Duh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Loved it. Yeah. Pittsburgh's my favorite U.S. city. Really? Yeah. I love like it's very oh, much a working class. Yes. It's a very oh, yeah. okay. Philly has some of the same qualities, but Pittsburgh is just such like a working class city. Like you know, like it's like now. Okay. I was I didn't gonna see say. Khalifa, it, it was not worth it. Uh, <laughs> I was, so, I was okay. gonna say also like Pittsburgh is like. Um, Point is. Philly's like, Philly has a lot more of an edge to it than Pittsburgh, I feel. Well, Philly has like, okay, both cities have actually really strong activist cultures. And like, I was a community organizer in Pittsburgh, uh, mostly doing like climate related work. Um, but Philly has a larger like activist, like, what's the word, like community, so to speak. And I, I really admire that about Philly. But something about Pittsburgh, it gives like, you know, 
friendly neighborhood vibes, you know? And I was gonna say it's a very livable city, but then I realized that Pittsburgh is actually ranked like the least livable, one of the least livable cities for black women in the US. Um, meanwhile, it's ranked one of the most livable cities in general in the US, which I think really shows, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of racial disparity in Pittsburgh. Um, and just That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, we've talked about this before, but like how, like, a lot of the civil rights legislature was aimed at the South. Yeah. And so, or legislation, sorry. And as a result, like, the South yeah. is actually more integrated than a yeah. lot of northern cities. Like, Pitt's Granted, without, granted, there's still a lot of resistance towards it, but again, more so than, like, up north and out west and, and midwest as well. Oh, yeah, people aren't willing to acknowledge it. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the so thing. We had to basically forced to acknowledge it. Yeah, and we did. To our credit, we did. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we had, like... still, like... Like, literally, when I was driving down to NC, mm -hmm. there was a National Park Service for the site of Stolen Jackson's death. And I'm just like, why is that a National mm -hmm. like, Park site? Mm -hmm. He is literally a traitor. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I never got the Confederacy. Like, why would you associate, associate yourself with losers? Bird up. Hello! The losers decided to uh, rewrite history. Yeah, yeah, so, okay, that'll take us to, I think that should take us to halftime, yeah? It can take us to halftime. Yeah, we back here. So, uh, Turkish, Turkish knockout I wanted to talk to you here. Although, yeah. that name's pretty bad. Thank you. I, I would like, like it. I, I think whoever came up with that is really handsome. <laughs> okay, so, you've discussed previously kind of your queer identity. I wanted to, like, sort of, circle back and see that to that topic and like you know so as like a queer person moving to turkey uh what do you think like how do you think that is going to inform your identity do you think you'll sort of wear that kind of on your sleeve as you get there or do you think or how do you how do you, how do you intend to like reconcile yeah that's a great question because i am someone who's like i really am ardent and like really passionate about like radical queerness like i really like my phone background is like poster from like the AIDS movement in the US and like AIDS activism mm -hmm. um, like it literally says calling all queers like like I a lot of the stuff I like is very queer like you know I center that in my identity mm -hmm. and in my life um, and so I think that is like an interesting thing to consider um, I don't know yet I think I'll be a little bit more reserved with my with like telling people just because like I kind of want to like feel people out first um, mm -hmm. And I think that might be a little bit hard for me in some ways, but also, like, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I, um, I think with, like, gender identity, I'm actually really excited because in Turkish, there's only, the only pronoun is, like, the third person they, right? And, like, my pronouns are they, them. So I'm actually really excited for that because, like, when speaking in Turkish, like, it's literally impossible for anyone to misgender me. Like, it can't happen. <laughs> it can't happen. So, um, that's really exciting for me. That so. sounds exciting. Yeah. 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 Did not know that. Mm -hmm. Also, the words for, like, um, like, spouse and, like, like, instead of, like, wife, husband, it's, like, there's one word for, like, spouse. So, like, mm -hmm. I remember I did the study abroad program where I was learning Turkish. Um, it was in Azerbaijan, though. But I, um, my, my classmate, like, kept talking about his significant other, um, his, his, husband who we didn't realize was a husband at the time because uh, he just kept saying like the word for spouse um and then like halfway through the program we found out he was also queer and like my friends and i who were we were all queer we were like wow we didn't know this um so that just shows like language is actually really helpful like in in that 
and being a little bit more covert. Um, so yeah. Mm -hmm. So we all have these like, I, like we all like to, we are always like kind of telling stories about ourselves, like I guess to ourselves sort of. And so when we see, so when you are sort of existing, do you consider yourself, or not existing, like that's kind of a weird way to say it, but like, <laughs> do you consider yourself like, do you consider yourself an American first? Do you consider yourself a queer person first? Do you consider yourself like a person of Turkish descent first or a person of like Colombian descent first? Like where do, I guess which identity is most like congruent to like you? Yeah. That's interesting. So I would say like being... Oh, and do you think that'll change uh, mm -hmm. as you like sort of, as you age out, as you get like, as you move, as you move across the world? Do you yeah. think that'll... I feel like for me, it's always like being a first generation American slash child of immigrants has been really a prominent role in my life and being queer. So those, those two things have kind of been my main defining qualities, I guess. Um, I feel like I have never really felt super in tune with being an American. Like I know I'm an American. I understand I have a lot of privileges with that and I know I'm well positioned because I'm an American, but I've never felt like a strong attachment to America. Like I, from a young age, I thought I might want to leave and my parents were very accepting of that because they moved here. So they knew what it's like to move away from your country of birth at a, at a you know, when you grow up. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, to answer the question, I think queerness will always be a leading, a leading identity for me. And I think being multicultural will always be a leading identity for me. Um, and like I said earlier, I feel a little worried that like living in Turkey, I might drift a little bit further away from like my Hispanic background. But I think like as long as I'm like intentional about like maintaining connection and hopefully relearning Spanish one day and all of that, I think it won't be a problem. I think I'll always have like a lot of um, respect for all sides of my my background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't forget, you can always listen to Bad Bunny. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But no, yes. I, was also, I was also kind of thinking because like it seems very much like the opposite because like when I, if I ever brought up like leaving the U.S., my parents were like, which country though? So that's the thing. I feel like there's like, are your parents immigrants or? Okay, I feel like there's two types of immigrant parents. Uh, I, this is really an oversimplification, but I've noticed from like my friends who are also first generation Americans, either there's the you know the child of immigrants, you know, second generation American. Um, I feel like immigrant parents there's. Immigrant parents who are like, we made the American dream to stay in America. And then there's immigrant parents who are like, we moved, so we get it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... Well, my, well, my parents love America, actually. Like, they really love it. But they also, like, don't feel like... They, they don't expect me to stay in America. They just don't really mind. Well, they're loyal to, like... They're loyal to what makes their child happy. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, because they seem because like from context, and again, this is pure conjecture, but it, but the sense I'm getting is that your parents were very accepting when you came out to them. No. Okay. I'm <laughs> not wrong. at all. Not at all. No. Wow, that was um, a swing and a fucking miss. No, I think that's good. I think it's good to yeah. get it on. You know, yeah. like discuss that too, because like I think my parents are accepting in a lot of ways and they're accepting now of my sexuality they don't know about my gender identity it's not worth unpacking with them but um yeah yeah it's just parents but um no my parents i thought they'd be more accepting and they just were a little like mm, 
you know, you know how, you know. Yeah. Your parents have dreams, right? Especially with like immigrant parents were, because my, in my view, like honestly, it took me a while to realize that my parents were actually the most progressive of immigrant parents, especially yeah. in my family. Yeah. Because like a lot of my cousins, they would come out as, you know, they would be, you know, do things that were outside cultural. Norms. I think like, um. But there's still a cultural issue because like sometimes my parents, it takes them a while to really like understand it. Like, they're not the type of ones to actually, you know, want to do anything to, like, stop them. But they're just, you know, they're ignorant sometimes. They just don't understand it and just, like, you had to explain it to them. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of, like, that with, uh, especially, like, your parents being so, like, again, like, yeah, accepting in their own way. And kind of, like, transitioning a little bit. I don't want to... Oh, go. Yeah, so, basically, like... Kind of the idea of like, you know, the foundation of this country is based on people who left their hometown for voluntarily or involuntarily. But, you know, the country was built on folks who like left their hometown. And I think that that kind of like makes it kind of like in a weird way, like kind of allows you to kind of pursue your own version of an American dream that's actually outside of America. And does that make any sense? That makes sense. Yeah, and so I, that's why I think a lot of, like, you know, you two are some of the most, like, politically, like, active people I know, you know? And Crazy when you say that, living in D.C. I know, exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I wanted to talk a little bit, of, I wanted to discuss with you a little bit more about, like, your activist work and how that kind of, how, like, your, these, like, identities that you, that you, that, like, inform your personality, how that informs your activism work and what that looks like just sort of, or what that did look like and what it continues to look like. Yeah, so I guess like growing up, I, I'm growing up in this area. There were like a lot of like protests about varying issues. So I was always pretty like aware of different social issues. And then in like my senior year, I got involved a little bit with some organizing in DC, but it wasn't as prevalent as when I went to college. Um, in college, I, started learning more about the climate crisis and there was like a growing movement of like youth climate activists so i got involved doing climate organizing in pittsburgh and and also like just in pennsylvania more broadly um and i think like being half turkish half colombian really informed that because there's a lot of effects of the climate crisis already showing i mean all over the world but in turkey and colombia there's like a lot of like natural disaster type stuff and also in like Colombia, Colombia was ranked the deadliest country for climate activists actually uh, recently and so I think just like knowing that like knowing how the climate crisis has not only affected the motherland and fatherland but also like the suppression of people who are doing important climate work in those countries especially Colombia has made me feel more driven to do that work here in the U.S. because I have like more of uh, more of the freedom to do so. So I think that's kind of driven my activism in a way. Um, and I think my activism has driven my identity as well. Like I feel like in activist groups, people are very like progressive, and there's a lot of acknowledgement of issues of like decoloniality and like queer liberation and like all these things that have helped me understand the expansiveness of like gender and sexuality and identity in general and I think that's played like a huge role in me being able to define my gender identity my sexuality and yeah all of that hmm. that was very interesting 
Uh, I think one, one of the questions I wanted to ask is like, you know, we've kind of talked about this before, um, you know, you're half like Turkish, half Colombian. So what was that upbringing like with, you know, a Turkish father, a Colombian mother, and like the influence you got from both their, their size, their cultures, their, you know, ethnicities, and just also living here? I mean, granted, you guys don't think Nova is the South, but I still consider it the South. So what was all that like? Including, like, you know, coming to terms with your own gender identity. Yeah, um, I would say growing up, I felt, I don't know, I think, like, both Turkish and Colombian culture are very gendered, like, except, like, exceptionally gendered. Um, and so, like, I feel like there were gender expectations on both sides. Um, but I also like kind of, I don't know, I always say I came out of, came out of the womb queer. I mean, obviously everyone, I mean, if you're queer, you come out of the womb queer, but I came out of the womb like knowing I was queer. Maybe not knowing I was like gender queer yet, but I knew I was queer. Okay. So like I always kind of subverted in some, in some way, shape or form from a young age, you know? Um, and so I, I don't know, it was, it was interesting and I think. I did face a lot of like expectations and sort of like, you know, yeah, gender expectations, but I also never was someone who like really, I don't know, gave into those expectations. Like I, I felt upon you, like in a way, but also like not exceptionally, I don't know. It, it was like, I could tell there were these expectations for me, but from a young age, I was like, I never want kids like, and like, I never want like a like this heteronormative nuclear family situation and like even though I didn't yet know that those things related to my understanding of my gender I mean like those things I knew from a young age and I would like tell my parents and like they knew from a young age although they were like oh you'll grow out of it they were like okay you don't want kids sure and now I'm like 23 and I'm like yeah I definitely still don't want kids <laughs> like you know I still like I'm not gonna marry a man I'm not gonna have kids like this that's not my plan right and so, yeah, but I would say, like, it was, it was interesting growing up, like, in that dynamic, you know? I, I don't know if, like, where I grew up, like, I don't know if growing up in Nova specifically had that much of an impact. I think it was mostly, like, parental expectations from, like, their immigrant backgrounds. Um, I think maybe I had a little bit more freedom to express myself how I wanted, like, living in Nova. Like, I think my parents understood we live in, like, a progressive area, so, like, they had more of a, more leniency with me. So, you think, like, if you'd grown up, say, in rural Louisiana, where, you know, there's kind of, like, you're sort of kind of in a fishbowl as an immigrant, you think that, like, that would have maybe informed you differently? You would have been, like, you would have felt more of a part in, like, schools and social settings, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I think it would have definitely been different, for sure. Like, I think there would have been additional pressure, like, to fit within a status quo or within a mold. Whereas, like, I feel like I did have a lot of agency growing up around here to be a little more expressive. Yeah, so you think you had more agency here to be expressive, is that fair? Yeah. So what I'm interested, and we've talked about this before, but, like, this is a really, like, fascinating thing, like... I really am fascinated to see like the agency of like the children of like our clients and yeah. how that'll and how that's going to play out over the next decade or so. And you know, 
Uh, so as like a as a queer person, like, do you think that, uh, and you and you're working with clients, like, can you give us some like, do you have any stories about like working with clients where you can sort of connect with them on the level of like, not only of like, hey, I'm uh, I have this background, or I have a similar background, like my parents were here, I know about this stuff, but also like, I'm also a queer person, and I can tell you're, or maybe not like I can tell you're a queer person, but like. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, 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 you know what I'm going at. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so this is really timely because yesterday I was, there's like a Pride employee resource group um, where we work. And in that resource group, we had a meeting the other day about like being what we called out-ish at work where you're like out, but like maybe you're not necessarily like, you don't think your coworkers necessarily understand your identities or like, you know, it's just not like, it's hard to be out at work, you know, for whatever reason. So we had discussions about that. And we talked about how, like, there's not enough top-down training from, like, leadership um, at, at most nonprofits. Um, but because a lot of times an excuse is like, oh, well, clients won't understand that. Like, they, they don't know the language for that. They're not going to understand what it means to be queer or to be, you know, gender nonconforming. Um, but in reality, we definitely have clients who, first of all, I think it's, um, what's the word like infantilizing to assume that like a client wouldn't be able to grasp that like they're adults <laughs> so like I mean um, but also like someone said in the meeting like a, some of these clients are probably people who could be queer themselves but never had like the ability to discuss that to explore that um, and also being queer like queerness is like a large part of American culture right so like to be integrated into American culture, it's important to understand mm -hmm. and, you know, gain a tolerance for, you know, for queer people. So I think it's, um, yeah, I think, I think that's one side of it, right? Um, uh, but for personal anecdotes, like I used to work at this nonprofit, um, where basically I came in and they had done some like LGBT, LGBTQ plus, um, training but I started working with some students because I was working with high schoolers and middle schoolers. Um, I had some students who were gender nonconforming. Uh, one student was really similar to me in that they were they were Kurdish, uh, so like similar, you know, like background. Um, yeah, geographic. Yeah, geographics, and they were non-binary using they/them pronouns. And I realized like there weren't really policies in place for like how we like address students in front of like their parents or like how we asked certain like demographic questions to students when enrolling them in like summer camp and like stuff like that like it was just like there wasn't a lot of consideration for like inclusive policies that like would minimize like discomfort for the students and like things like that and so I realized like there needed to be more of that and there needed to be more like number one inclusive policies number two staff training and number three just like spaces for like queer immigrants and especially in that role queer immigrant youth to like thrive and express themselves so like i started like the queer youth space at that organization and that was really um a great experience but i i think just like working with like queer youth like queer immigrant youth mm -hmm. um was like such an informative experience um and then in my current role like i haven't i haven't worked with anyone who i know is queer like in my current role as a client as a client yeah and so I think like I usually don't like necessarily like broach the topic um just like because it, it hasn't really come up with clients um uh, but I feel like 
No, I feel like going back to the idea that like, I feel like clients have the capacity to definitely understand um, like mm -hmm. LGBT. LGBTQ plus discourse um, and I feel like it shouldn't be something that's ever like shied away from um, so yeah hmm. yeah you don't want to like tuck it away exactly you know, at times like what you said before clients were raised in an environment where like even if they were queer they couldn't really like express that outwardly or even share that with anybody without any sort of repercussions so here they actually would have better brief space to actually you know share that out with people they feel comfortable with and you know here, I feel like it, granted, my uh, gendered self cannot, like, fathom this, but, like, I feel like it's more, like, at least our generation is more tolerable for non-binary, gen like, gender formalities. Yeah. So, we've kind of, like, had a more open, like, perspective of what gender really means. Yeah. I mean, we're um, just talking about it right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, but my other point is that there are clients who were, you know, the reason why they had to fled was because of their... No, sexual orientation or their gender identity because they were outspoken they didn't want to be like shut down because of their society that you know, yeah. it's them take it or leave it and apparently they just yeah. so how do you think that uh so my next question for you is like how does this like how would you say this looks for this this uh information this uh not information but these like this discourse this identity and your experience through client relations your activism how and we take all that and now we put it in you we put it in turkey what does it look like going there yeah that's a good question i think um i mean i do want to continue doing refugee resettlement uh work in turkey um and i think that it's you know all of this will kind of transfer over to there um and i think it'll be harder in a way to do this work there and to have these conversations um because it's less less of a queer inclusive country as of now um but i still think it's i don't know i i think like my my goal in life is to do kind of like cross-cultural and cross-country work um doing like LGBTQ plus inclusive resettlement or, you know, education or integration programs for queer refugees and immigrants. Mm -hmm. So I think part of that work will include like creating those spaces in Turkey for like open expression and uh, inclusion and um, yeah, just trying to make it a better place for queer migrants. Um, but that's not just in Turkey, like I'd love to see that happen elsewhere also like more on an international scale um but that's you know it's also like kind of a tall order but we'll see we'll see how it goes i mean you know what the i mean you know what we say in the south uh and you wouldn't know this because you're from nova uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh we say you know you whew, how you how do you how you eat that big old horse one piece at a time wow that's mm -hmm. wise thank you that's some yeah. stuff there uh yeah i'd like yeah Please join me again in thanking uh, the Turkish Knockout for being our guest this evening. Thanks for having me. Let's give a big shout out to Turkish Knockout. They've been very gracious to, you know, gracious with their presence. Of course, anytime. Mm -hmm. Keep and up the good work. Yeah, keep listening. Keep listening. Uh, remember to subscribe, listen to the podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Y'all be good, you hear? Y'all be good.